so I encourage you to turn over to Luke chapter 2, if you would. Luke chapter 2, the joy of the shepherd's message. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to stand at the reading of God's word today. So let's stand, and if you can read it with me, you can read off the screen if you'd like, or from your, your version of the Bible, but let's read it out loud together as we stand and give honor to God's word. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You may be seated. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word. And I say that because in Revelation, as I read this week, in chapter 1, it says it's the blessing comes upon those who read God's word. And I think God loves to hear his word proclaimed back to him. Well, in 1996, at Oklahoma State University, part of the Big 12, I guess, back then even, Randy Johnson was the quarterback for Oklahoma State, and uh, he was uh, former President Lyndon B. Johnson's nephew. And so he was playing on a mediocre team, and he was a pretty mediocre quarterback, and they hadn't won a lot of games, but they were playing their arch rival, the University of Oklahoma, in the last game of the season. And it didn't matter what their record was. It was that legendary idea that you can beat the arch rival that's in your own state. Well, it was also senior day, so the coach wanted to make sure that all the seniors got into play. Well, <clears throat> they were down by six points. It was pouring down rain. They just had a few minutes left on the clock. They had 80 yards to go for the winning touchdown. They were, they were just down by that six points, and if they scored and got an extra point, they would win the game. Well, Randy Johnson uh, was in the huddle, and they finally made it down to reasonable distance to the goal line, but there was only time for one more play. So the coach called a timeout, and he subbed in all the seniors to play in the very last play. And they got in the huddle, and Randy Johnson looked around, and he decided to call play number 13. Well, they went out and broke the huddle, and they hiked the ball. And when you know it, play 13 worked. They got a touchdown, kicked the extra point. They won the game. The team carries off Randy Johnson into the locker room, and the coach says, play 13? Well, we tried that over and over in practice. It was a trick play. It never worked before. Why would you do it now? Well, Randy said, well, I was in the huddle, and I looked over at Harry, and Harry had number eight on his jersey, and he was just weeping because he was a senior. This was his last play he was ever going to play in college. I looked over and saw Ralph, and he had number seven on his jersey, and he said he was weeping. So he said, I added eight and seven together, called play 13, and we won the game. <laughs> and the coach said, wait a minute, eight and seven don't equal 13. And Randy thought for a moment, he says, 
Well, if I was as smart as you, coach, we would have lost the game. <laughs> Talk about improbable ways that things happen in life. Well, as humans, the birth of Christ came in a way that defies how we would expect the Savior of the world to come. The people involved in the way the message was declared was certainly unique to how he would share the news of the new birth of the Messiah who is coming to earth. Isn't it amazing how Jesus came? That's what we're going to talk about today. The background, first of all, the shepherds, as you have your outline out. These shepherds were nomads. They lived in caves. They were the lowliest of society. It was said they didn't even want to accept their taxes. Many of them were illiterate. They were mangy. They didn't know often what a shower looked like. Uh, They lived out. They were kind of socially inept because they were always out amongst the sheep and just with the other sheep herders. So they didn't have a lot of connection with society in general. But they were the most improbable people to have the message of the angel to come to. But nonetheless, the first thing on your outline, the shepherds were at the right place at the right time. The shepherds were at the right place at the right time. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. I believe that the shepherds were probably followers of the Lord. We don't know 100% for sure if that's true, but how they responded and what they did with the messages, we'll see at the end, kind of infers that the angel came to them, and then, of course, the multitude of angels came to these shepherds, I think because they were primarily believers. They did obey the angel. They went to worship the newborn Christ, and they share the good tidings to all of Bethlehem as a result of that angel coming with the news. As a result of their faithfulness to the Lord, God chose to reveal his most precious revelation to the lowliest of mankind, the shepherds. Can you imagine? Any other king would come with pomp and circumstance and want to have a big entourage and a big party and a big celebration as they're coronated. But this is the king of the universe who leaves heaven and comes to be born as the lowliest, in the lowliest way possible, wrapping himself up in human flesh, becoming in the likeness of man. And he comes to the most quiet of people, the most lowliest of all. It doesn't seem to make sense. You think Jesus would have come to the governmental authorities or the kings would have assembled or even the religious, religious leaders who supposedly were looking for a Messiah, that he would have come to them. But he comes in a very improbable way. And how many times do we think that what we're doing in our lives is mundane, is routine, and uneventful? It's in those situations of life that God takes the ordinary and adds extra, makes it extraordinary in our lives. The shepherds were faithfully fulfilling their responsibilities. They'd done that night what they'd done a hundred nights before. They were about the business of what they believed was their purpose, to uh, make a profit by taking care of these lambs, these sheep, to be a successful sheep herder. The sheep they may have been tending may have been sheep that were being prepared for slaughter at the temple as the sacrifice. There was nothing extraordinary about their lives. The world in that night was going on as, as it had a hundred nights before, and even more. But at just the right moment, on God's timetable, the unimaginable happens. In Galatians chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son, born of woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. From our human perspective, we don't know why God sent Jesus to earth, but that we know he arrived at just at the right time. Why God allowed it to happen at that perspective of time. God's timing is never because he's in a hurry. He's never late. In 2 Peter 3, 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the, with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand days, or a thousand years as one day. God is timeless. He sees the beginning of the world to the end. He sees the beginning of your life to the very end all at the same time. He knows what we will be facing and has gone on ahead of us to prepare a way. I kind of liken it to a guy who is out in the wilderness and he's the guide and he's taking you through a, a forest of some kind. And as the guide, he has a machete and everybody's following this guy as he cuts a trail through the woods. He's preparing the way for those that will go behind him. And that's what, that's what Jesus did by, sent, by coming to earth and seeing and knowing and understanding who we are and living among us so he could relate to what we would go through in our lives. God doesn't fill us in about what he's doing in our life in advance. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, he says, God has given them a desire to know the future. He does everything just right and on time, but people can never completely understand what he's doing. We won't until we get to heaven, until we are in eternity and we can look back with perfect sight. Can we see how God engineered and worked in the circumstances of our life to make us more like Jesus to get us where he wants us to be uh, physically and, and serving in the ways that he does in our life. So we have to keep listening to his word. We have to keep listening to his Holy Spirit. We have to stay dependent upon him. I think that's why he doesn't reveal his will to us. You know, if God revealed his will to us at the moment of our salvation, I think we would have been scared out of our wit's end, right? If we knew we had to face all those things. But God is a loving God who unrolls the scroll or the, opens the page and turns it one day at a time to let us understand, but also to depend upon him. So we must continue to wait and trust God's timing. And one thing, I've, the two things I've learned through this year is patience and perseverance. Patience and perseverance are so important as we wait on God. And so are we faithfully fulfilling the duties and the roles of our life? Has life gotten boring at times, sometimes you may feel like you've been isolated too long. Or many of us have talked about we want to travel, but there's really nowhere to travel during this time of pandemic. Do you get tired of the mundane? Do you remember that God is working powerfully in the ordinary days of our lives? And so we must stay faithful even in the good times and the bad. So our application is this, be faithful in the normal routine of life. Faithfulness will pay off in the end. God will reward us for our faithfulness. I believe that's the measure of success with God is our faithfulness to him. Be faithful in a normal routine of life. Only eternity will reveal how our faithfulness has impacted the people that we had influence upon. Second main point today is the shepherds received the heavenly message. The shepherds received the heavenly message message message. 
Look at Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. As we just read, And an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Last week in our connect group we talked about swaddling cloths and saw a video and it talked about how the shepherds would take that cloth and wrap that newborn lamb. Uh, till it stopped shaking because of the trauma of being born, because it didn't want to hurt any of the ligaments or muscles or joints. And then, so it would be without blemish, so it could be used as a sacrifice in the temple. And Jesus is the final lamb of God. And notice the imagery here of being wrapped in swaddling claws, like a little lamb lying in a manger. Notice how the shepherds here received the message from God with great fear. That means with reverence with awe, with humility and great distress. You saw in the video, can you imagine you see that bright light of an angel walking toward you? I'd be, I wouldn't be walking backward. I think I'd be running, to be honest with you. Um, but they revered him. They were in awe. And from an angel, the message came directly from a messenger of God. And that's what an angel means, literally, a messenger of God. The message came as if it was God himself. It was a very important, world-changing message. The angel said, fear not. Listen to what I'm about to say. What do we do when God speaks to us? How do we respond? Do we take time to ask God for him to speak to us? And do we take time in our prayer life or whenever to wait for his responses? Are we listening for his voice throughout our daily lives? How good are your active listening skills with God and people? That's something I'm constantly, personally trying to improve upon myself. In James 1.19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Someone says that God has a sense of humor. He gives us one mouth but two ears. He wants us to listen, to listen before we speak, Right? And so we need to be active listeners through the word of God that we read, through answered prayer, through the Holy Spirit. You ever get the Holy Spirit to give you affirmation of a decision that you've been seeking after, a sense of peace in your heart? Or it's obeying God when he says no or he says wait. Those are tough ones, right? Or sometimes he speaks to us in a small, still voice. Then he also speaks to us through people that we interact with. Either directly we might go and ask for advice or counsel. But what often happens in my life, almost on a weekly basis, is I'll be praying about something or reading about something and don't even share with anybody. And God brings a person to have a conversation with or an article. Or Aaron Barfell sends me something or whatever it comes from. Somewhere you get something that you've been meditating in your heart and you get the answer to, or you get some more information. That's God speaking to us, providing us with information. Are we leaning forward in our seats, figuratively speaking, when God or godly counsel is coming our way? Or do we try to do it on our own? 
If all else fails, then we go to God. There's a story about President Franklin Roosevelt when he was uh, the president. And he got upset because people didn't really acknowledge what he was saying. So he decided that at one night at a White House reception, he was just going to respond to everybody that he said he woke up this morning and murdered his grandmother to see what anybody would say. And he said that night as people were going through the line, he had that big smile he always had and shake their hand. He says, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And they said, oh, how lovely. And they just continued on. And finally, one foreign diplomat said to him, well, I guess maybe she had it coming, right? <laughs> but the point is, the problem is today is that not, it's not that God is not speaking, but rather we're not listening to him. It's not the Lord who's not speaking, it's us who are not hearing what he has to say. So here's the application. Be receptive to God's voice. Be looking for it throughout your day. Know God is actively involved in the circumstances of your life, and he knows what's going on in your heart, even if no one else does. And you'll be amazed at how often he will provide the answers or speak to it or give you information to help you. But you have to be open to hear and receive God's voice. Well, do you and I take the time to pray first and then go out and do, or do you and I take the time to listen for God's will and his still small voice as we wait for him and his timing in our life? Thirdly, we see the shepherd's belief is measured by their reaction. By their reaction. What did they do after the angels came and gave him, gave them this information? In Luke chapter 2, verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds took what they believed and put it into action. The actions reveal what you believe and what faith you have. In James 1.22, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So when we look in the mirror before we go out, do we take time to make the adjustments? Do we make sure that we're washed up or we shaved for men or whatever it may be? We look intently. We want to make sure that everything is good and right and ready. I remember a story my grandfather told who, on my dad's side, he graduated from the University of Michigan, and he was an engineer. And he laughingly told us one day that uh, he got up and, went and did his normal routine and, and uh, got, put his suit on and went to work. And when he got to the restroom later that day, he realized he still had his pajamas on underneath of his suit. He looked intently, but he didn't catch on that something was wrong. He didn't do anything about it. He just put his suit on over his pajamas. How many of us do we look intently into the word of God? We hear what it says, but that doesn't make a difference. It doesn't change us. We don't right away go out and act on our faith. The shepherds acted on their faith. And the shepherds went and observed the baby firsthand. The shepherds hiked into town, leaving their sheep behind them. They were led by the supernatural after God invaded their ordinary life. So our application here is we need to be willing to act on what God tells us to do or tells you to do. We need to be willing 
to act and do what he says. And may we be available and ready in our hearts when God asks us to do something for him. The simple message of the shepherd, and we're going to see how it leads us to a joyful experience that will overflow in their lives. We see, thirdly, the shepherds recognize the Christ. Can you imagine the excitement, the thrill of knowing that you may be the first ones, besides Mary and Joseph, to see the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Look at verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds saw the Savior with their own eyes. They saw, along with Mary and Joseph, the very face of God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine to be able to look on the one who will be the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the mighty ruler, and all who Christ is that we can't even fathom in our own finite minds? Well, in Luke 9, 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 6 of Isaiah 9, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We sang about that just a few moments ago. Can you imagine the shepherds saw this baby, 100% man, 100% God. A baby who needed a mother's milk and later food. A baby who would need to be changed. A baby who later would have teeth, would teeth, and teeth would come in and could eat solid food. A little infant. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph watching this little baby Jesus take his first steps? And of course, being able as a father to play with him and to teach him some carpentry skills. We don't know how long Joseph was in his life. But we see that he was a human baby. 100% man, but 100% God. And he set aside his attributes. In Philippians 2, it says, Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then Paul emphasizes not just any death, but the most humiliating, torturous, cruel death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, the God-man born to a virgin. One of the early false teachings that the church had to deal with was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism, and they didn't believe that the body or the material world was divine, but it was evil, actually. And the only thing that was divine was your spirit, the divine spark within you. And that Jesus was the one who brought the secret truth and the secret knowledge. But they didn't believe that he died on the cross as a man, because that would have been evil. But the Bible teaches he had to be, because he had to be our substitute. He had to be in the aspect of man to take our place, to shed his blood for us, to give us the hope of eternal life. The application here is be willing this Christmas to reflect on who the child in the manger is. I hope that you have a good, solid understanding of Christology. And when Austin preached on November 29th, I think that was the date, on uh, who Christ is, the coming king, 
If your Christology is correct, the way you view yourself in Christ will be accurate and it will give you confidence in how you follow him. Well, we see, lastly, that the shepherds responded to what they witnessed. The shepherds responded to what they witnessed. This leads us to the title of this message, The Joy of the shepherd, Shepherds and what they experienced. In Luke chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, and when the shepherds saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds were changed in an instant. They were filled with joy. I hope that you have never gotten over the joy of your salvation. I hope you think back, whether you were a child or whether you were an adult or a teenager, I hope that never leaves you. I know for myself, it's, it's the purpose I want to share the good news because in October of 1972, God came and intervened in our family on Deborah Jane Drive in Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh where my dad first and the rest of our family came to Christ. And it was a, a dramatic change for our family. And because of that joy that's in my life, and I think back to that experience, that's what encourages me to share the faith that's in my heart and my soul. And I hope that's what motivates you to share the gospel. I never get tired of sharing how someone could come to faith in Christ. I had for the 17th time in all the years I've taught at Scott to be able to, again, teach the gospel on Thursday to my students before we closed out the semester. These shepherds spread the good news. They couldn't wait to tell everyone what God had done in their midst. They returned to their sheep rejoicing and worshiping. They were filled with awe. How could this be? How could this have happened in such an obscure little place? The natural response to God's revelation is worship. Is worship. When God reveals to us who he is and we understand uh, what he's done and who he is in our life, then it leads us to worship. I read a story recently about Queen Mary and Queen Mary, she was uh, out and amongst the people in Scotland she loved to go to Scotland once a year, and the people there loved her. In fact, she would go without any protective escort, and she loved to be with the kids. And one time she got very, very far away from where she was supposed to be, and she noticed that there were dark clouds coming over the horizon. It was about to rain. So she just went up to a neighbor's house, knocked on the door, and asked for an umbrella. The lady that answered the door didn't know who she was, and she was kind of disturbed by this uh, this person coming to her door. So she reached in and she got this old tattered umbrella that she set aside to throw away. One of the ribs was broken, the cloth was tearing away, and Queen Mary gladly took that. And she said, I will bring this back tomorrow. Thank you for the opportunity of providing this for me. Well, the lady was shocked the next day when a royal guard showed up at her house, knocked at the door, and said, hey, Queen Mary borrowed your umbrella, and she said she would have it returned, and here it is. And the woman began to weep because she thought, if I'd have known who that was, I would have given of my very best. We never know when God's going to show up in our lives, but we have to be ready to worship him, to bow at his presence. And we worship, and then we share what we experienced in worship, the joy of being with our creator, the love of our lives. 
So we see a pattern to this whole message that you and I should emulate. God was doing a work in the midst of the people of Bethlehem. God revealed the Messiah first to the humblest people in that society at the time, the shepherds. They acted on their faith based on what was told to them. The shepherds went and they found this baby in a manger. They worshiped him and found joy. And then they went out and told as many as who would believe and listened to them that Jesus had come, that the Messiah of the world was in their midst. The application is here is that we need to be passionate in the spreading of the good news of Christmas. We should be filled with so much joy that we can't wait to share with someone what that joy means to us, why we experience that joy. And my prayer is that we would be filled with joy that overflows into the lives of others by how we live and by what we say in this Christmas season. I know a little bit, we're, we're a little bit more restricted and limited in our abilities to have interaction. It's a little more difficult to have <clears throat> conversations out in you know, the world with our masks on. But at every opportunity we have, may we find a way to share that message and be passionate to spread the good news of Christmas. So may we be so filled with joy that it overflows into the lives of others by how we live and what we say. Here's our key thought. May we reflect this Christmas season for a unique perspective on what Christ means to us in this year of the pandemic. I try to figure out every Christmas to get a fresh take, fresh, fresh insight into what Christ means to me, a new way to see him, a new way to worship him, a new way to get to experience him in new ways. Here's three questions to ponder this third week of Advent. Do you see the simple story of Christmas in a fresh way this year? Do you see it? I hope it's not something that's just a routine. It's not something that just comes and passes once a year. Second of all, who could you spread some joy to this Christmas season? Who can God put on your heart to spread some joy? And how can you do that? Come up with a way to do that, to spread that joy. Maybe it's just making some Christmas cookies and going out to a neighbor and giving them your Christmas card and some cookies. Or maybe, you know, as I get the opportunity and Lynette and others, we were ringing the bell, Mario, at Fairway, just to greet people as they go in the store. Whatever it may be, may we find some ways that we can spread some joy in this Christmas season. I want to close with this story, and I'm going to read it because it's so well written by Peter Marshall. He was not only an eloquent speaker and writer, but he was the chaplain of the United States Senate for a period of time. It's one of his favorite stories. It's called The Keeper of the Spring. It talks about a quiet forest dweller who lived high above an Austrian village on the eastern slopes of the Alps. And the old gentleman had been hired many years by the young town council to clear away the debris from the pools of water up in the mountain crevices that fed the lovely spring flowing through their little town. And so this man with faithful, silent regularity, he patrolled the hills he removed the leaves and the branches and wiped away the silt that would otherwise choke and contaminate the fresh flow of water down to their little town. Well, by and by, the village became a popular attraction for vacationers. Graceful swans floated along the crystal clear spring. The mill wheels, the mill wheels of various businesses located near the water turned day and night, and farmlands were naturally irrigated, making the view from the restaurants picturesque beyond description. 
Well, years passed, and one evening the town council met for its semi-annual meeting, and as they reviewed the budget, one man's eye caught the salary figure being paid to the obscure keeper of the spring. So the treasurer said, who is the old man? Why do we keep him on year after year? No one ever sees him. For all we know, the strange ranger of the hills is doing us no good. He isn't necessary any longer. And by a unanimous vote, they dispense with the old man's pay and his services. Well, for several weeks, nothing changed. By early autumn, the trees began to shed their leaves. Small branches snapped off and fell into the pools, hindering the rushing of the sparkling water. One afternoon, someone noticed a slight yellowish-brown tint in the spring. A couple days later, that water was much darker, and within a week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, and a foul odor was soon detected. The mill wheels moved more slowly, and some came to a grinding halt. Swans left, and so did the tourists. Clammy fingers of disease and sickness reached deeply into the village. Quickly, the embarrassed council called a special meeting. Realizing their gross error in judgment, they hired back the old keeper of the spring, and within a few weeks, the veritable river of life began to clear up. The wheels started to turn, and new life returned to the hamlet and the Alps once again. So what the keeper of the spring meant to that little village, Christmas means to the world. Jesus called you and I to be the salt of the world, to be the preserver, faithfully preserving his kingdom work here on this earth preserving what is good and true. And just like the old man in the mountains that were called to serve, in a very real sense, the well-being of the whole world is dependent upon us as Christians. We do make a difference. There's no little people, there's no little jobs, there's no little responsibilities. Everything we do is significant and interlinks with the lives of others. That's the great story of that wonderful movie, It's a Wonderful Life. We need to stay faithful like those shepherds did, because God wants to use us to do extraordinary things in the lives of others. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we pray that you help us to internalize the message of the sermon today in the the life of the shepherds. Lord, what an amazing story. These people were knocked off their sandals by this angel coming. And they probably looked around like, who us? Why would, you, why would you even talk to us? But yet, you brought one of the greatest messages of all time to these people. And Lord, we know that if we're faithful, if we're open, if we're receptive, if we're willing to act on our faith, that you will fill us with joy as we worship you and that we can make an impact on others around us in this Christmas season and the year to come in 2021. Faithfulness, a very important quality. May we be faithful to you. May we have the idea of the writer of Proverbs where we're leaning in to hear your voice to speak to us so we can have a connection and experience with you, grow in our relationship with you, but then to show our love by obeying what you tell us to do. Fill us with that joy and help us to share that joy of the Christmas season with others. We pray and ask these things now. In Jesus' name, amen.